Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast, Almost Here, Round the Corner Technology. And I'm speaking with Bart Stevens, uh, co-founder of Blockchain.Capital. Bart, how are you doing? I'm well today. I want to thank you, Richard, for the opportunity to speak on the Future Tech Podcast today. Yeah, yeah, it's great to have you. So, you know, sometimes I mess up these introductions. It's always better if the, the interviewee gives them. So would you tell folks what Blockchain.Capital does Sure. So Blockchain Capital is about a four-and-a-half-year-old uh, firm. We're a San Francisco and Los Angeles-based venture capital firm that is focused on um, one sector, and that's what, what we call uh, the blockchain technology sector. Uh, blockchain is the kind of infrastructure that enables uh, the Bitcoin network, but part of our investment thesis is we think the blockchain is an incredibly powerful technology. It's the most secure, uh, decentralized database in the world. And we think it'll be used for all sorts of things besides uh, just Bitcoin transactions. We are big believers in Bitcoin, but we think that the story of the blockchain, which allows for the secure exchange of value, is a, uh, as important of an invention in technology as the Internet. Uh, I like to say that the Internet allows for the secure and instantaneous exchange of data, and the blockchain allows for the secure and instantaneous exchange of value or assets. So Bitcoin is, is the proof of concept, if you will, um, but there are approximately 80 trials worldwide going on that are allowing, that are leveraging blockchain technology for the trading and settlement of traditional assets like stocks or bonds, currencies or commodities. And a lot of our wow. investment focus is looking at um, how the blockchain can be used for in other industries as well, past financial services. So we've made investments in blockchain healthcare companies, blockchain identity companies, companies that are using the blockchain for international trade and logistics. So it's often thought of as a kind of fintech technology, but we actually believe it, it has uh, incredible, robust applications in all sorts of industries with financial services really just being the first. Yeah, that's great. I've, I've spoken to some of the companies that are in these different spaces, uh, gem.co with healthcare, um, you know, certainly plenty of Bitcoin uh, companies, cryptocurrencies, and then, uh, you know, there's smart contracts where people are trying to leverage blockchains for uh, the exchange of all kinds of value. It's a fascinating industry, I got to tell you. Um, a lot of people were in the early days of the industry were very focused on on Bitcoin, uh, which is a digital currency. Some people think of it as a digital asset. Some people think of it as a peer-to-peer payment system. And the truth is, it's all of those things. Um, at Blockchain Capital, we like to think of it as a ultra-secure distributed database that is free to use. And one one way to think of it is that um, it is uh, essentially the largest database the world has ever seen. It's it's much larger than the top 500 supercomputers in the world combined in terms of the computational resources that are dedicated to securing and processing transactions on the network. Um, and so uh, we, really, we really think it's um, uh, a fascinating piece of technology. You can, the hardware is essentially crowdsourced and available for free. So-called Bitcoin miners um, provide the, the computational resources for free. The software is also free. It's a large open-source software project. And you know, in the history of our investing, both in public and private markets, 
we found that uh, better, faster, cheaper usually wins, and, and we're, we're passionate believers that blockchain technology offers a better, faster, cheaper way to move assets around the world in between institutions and individuals. So uh, it's in the early days of the industry, and uh, we're one of the few firms that's dedicated uh, exclusively to investing in small companies and helping them grow into hopefully very large companies. Yeah, I see um, Bitcoin and blockchain diverging. You know, Bitcoin, yes, of course it uses a blockchain, but that's one uh, use case of it. And then blockchain itself, like you mentioned, is proliferating into all kinds of industries. And I think it's a good thing because, you know, Bitcoin's recovering from its Silk Road black eye from years ago. Um, but, you know, it's gaining traction. Then blockchain, I think it's good it has its own identity because it can um, can really go into all kinds of areas. Yeah, so, I think that's an astute observation. I mean, I like to say that Bitcoin and uh, the Bitcoin blockchain are inextricably linked, but they're not limited. And by that, I mean, um, you know, the Bitcoin network is functioning incredibly well, um, and the blockchain infrastructure that enables it um, is is this robust kind of infrastructure layer. But but when I say it's not limited to Bitcoin, it's we're seeing all sorts of large financial incumbents is what the term that we use. But large financial institutions are taking a look at this technology. Some people call it distributed ledger technology um, for the trading and settlement of traditional assets. Um, everyone's familiar with the stock market and the bond market, um, but there's also very large markets that are really kind of the, the back office is stuck in the 60s, and, and these are often uh, credit derivatives or syndicated loans or leveraged loans. These are massive markets. Hundreds of billions of dollars are, are traded in these things, and, and oftentimes the trading and settlement takes um, two weeks or 30 days for these instruments to settle. And, and when you have a uh, reduced settlement time like that, it, it adds to uncertainty and financial firms need to put up collateral uh, during that time. So anything that speeds the settlement of a traditional asset offers incredible cost savings for financial institutions and also uh, reduces systemic risk uh, in the system. Mm. So regulators have, have really come around to seeing this technology as their friend, not their foe. To your point, early in, in the early days of Bitcoin, there was a lot of concern that it was being used for illegal activity. And so Bitcoin did kind of suffer a black eye is the term that you use. But we've, we've really moved away from that. The largest users of Bitcoin are, are no longer criminals. The Silk Road was obviously shut down. Um, it's actually the, the large banks and financial institutions are, are using it the most now. So even though uh, it, it's, it's often common that um, kind of bleeding edge technologies are, are misappropriated by criminal activity in the early days, but in the case of, of Bitcoin and blockchain, it's essentially gone mainstream at this point, and, and most of the players in the ecosystem are working with large banks, including most of the companies in our portfolio. Okay. Um, I know that you, you know, as a VC, want to get in on obviously the most exciting and best deals, but what can you comment on? What business models have you seen that are really interesting that uh, the public may start seeing in 2017? You know, ones you can talk about. Sure. So, um, you know, we've got uh, 42 companies in the blockchain capital portfolio. So we are a, a very active investor. We're one of the few firms that's focused exclusively uh, on this uh, rapidly developing industry. And I, and I really think that gives us an edge. Um, we have three full-time partners. Uh, my partners at blockchain capital are Brock Pierce. He's also chairman of the Bitcoin Foundation and a noted kind of keynote speaker and, and, and thought leader in the space. Uh, the third partner here is my brother, uh, Brad Stevens. Brad is a former hedge fund manager. He worked at uh, Fidelity Ventures, and uh, Brad and I ran a hedge fund for 10 years together. 
I actually started my career in fintech at E-Trade. So we have three full-time investment professionals and, a, and another um, a large advisory group that help us to find uh, the most cutting-edge companies. Uh, a lot of our companies are, are well-known in the consumer space. Uh, Coinbase is a, is a portfolio company of ours. It's the largest uh, Bitcoin exchange and wallet company, and they're doing incredibly well. Uh, Chain would be another one. Chain's got a, a great group of investors and is helping uh, large financial institutions leverage blockchain technology to address new markets, to reduce costs. You mentioned GEM earlier, very exciting LA uh, based company that is looking at healthcare applications, and a lot of our act, uh, investment activity has uh, is focused on um, new new areas of blockchain technology adoption. We're in the process of financing a very exciting company called Wave. Wave uses blockchain technology to replace the bill of lading in international trade and shipping and logistics. The bill of lading is a 500 plus year old piece of financial technology where you have a physical piece of paper wow. that gives you ownership of, say, a, a cargo container. And if you can put that on the blockchain, you can very much facilitate international uh, trade and, uh, and trade finance. So we're seeing a, a really robust uh, startup uh, ecosystem where people from all sorts of industries are, are experimenting with blockchain technology to see if they can reduce costs and, and grow their markets and essentially create new businesses based on this free-to-use, ultra-secure, uh, distributed uh, database technology. Okay. Any other um, interesting or unusual companies, maybe ones that um, you decided not to fund but that you think may have a good chance of succeeding? There's lots of um, companies that are in their early stages that are taking a look at um, borrowing certain aspects of blockchain technology. They might not use the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, we, we're kind of blockchain agnostic. Uh, most of our investment activity to date has been focused in the Bitcoin ecosystem. But about a year ago, we actually um, led the first venture capital investment into an Ethereum startup called ETHCORE. Um, ETHCORE is, is kind of the, uh, is led by Dr. Gavin Wood, who's the kind of chief technology officer of Ethereum. And we led that financing with uh, Fenbushi, a Chinese-based uh, blockchain venture capital firm that has Vitalik as a partner. Vitalik is the, is the creator of Ethereum. So um, we take kind of an agnostic approach to this technology. We, we acknowledge that it's in the early days, and, and part of our investment strategy is to make lots of small bets. Um, and and the, the strategy there, to me, reminds me of the Internet in the mid-90s. Uh, if you were a venture capitalist in the mid-90s uh, looking at Internet startups, you probably would have been better served to make lots of investments. If you picked just one search engine investment in, say, 1995, you might have invested in InfoSeq or Lycos, uh, search engines that don't exist today. But conversely, if you made, say, 20 investments in the Internet, you very likely would have picked up Amazon or eBay or E-Trade or Yahoo, some of the, the first four or five IPOs in the Internet. So we've taken right. a thoughtful and diversified approach to investing in startups in the ecosystem. And and most of our investment activities focused at the very earliest stage. So we'll look at companies if it's just two or three engineers in the PowerPoint uh, presentation. But uh, because we're sector focused, we do invest kind of up and down the capital stack and, and we're, we're multi-round. So by that, I mean, we'll do seed round, A round, B round, et cetera. Interesting. Um, the fact that a lot of these companies, you know, are in, you know, they want to be decentralized organizations where no one's in charge and, how does that reconcile with your ability to invest in a company? You know, if it wants to be a decentralized thing where there's no one that's in charge, how do you invest in them? That's a great question. Um, and and um, there's a certain um, 
there's a certain political or philosophical ethos that is present within especially the Bitcoin ecosystem where it is this notion of uh, a decentralized um, or a semi-autonomous type project where the software is, is open source, as I mentioned earlier. The hardware is, is, is available for free. It's provided by Bitcoin miners that process transactions and, and secure the network. And, and that's a really exciting concept. Um, uh, the Internet is essentially the same way. It is, it is free to use and owned by nobody. It's transnational and super sovereign. But it also presents some governance challenges. Um, there's been a lot written in the kind of Bitcoin trade press about um, uh, some of the diverse opinions on how to scale the network and how best to secure the network. And, and this is often described as the block size debate. The block size debate mm -hmm. is, is about how you scale the network from a technical point of view, but baked into that debate is really a governance debate, which is um, who, who owns this um, and uh, and the answer is, is a little bit unclear. You know, some some people would say it's the operating companies, it's the Coinbase's of the world, or the gems of the world, or chains. Um, other people would say it's the Bitcoin miners. They actually get to vote um, in terms of changes uh, to the protocol. And other people would point to the core developers, the engineers that um, really have been incredibly generous in. Um, in their contribution of code and their intellectual capital, if you will, to the ecosystem. So um, many of the companies that we invest in kind of benefit from the, um, the hard work and development that's been done today, uh, primarily by what's called Bitcoin Core. Um, but it is, it is a, a, an ever-moving uh, target. And, um, and what we try to do is, is invest in companies with um, a large total available market and that have some sort of uh, engineering advantage or a new business model that sits on top of all this free-to-use hardware and software. But um, it, it is a challenging um, industry. There's also an ever-changing regulatory environment, so we spend a lot of time speaking to regulators and letting them know yeah. that this technology is essentially their friend. It's not the foe. And I have to say that regulators have really um, come around to it. Um, I've given talks at the Federal Reserve, both in New York and San Francisco, and, and they really uh, have come to see this technology as decreasing systemic risk and, and um, better lubricating the global financial system, for lack of a better term. So uh, there are some challenges yep. from a governance point of view, but we have uh, a high degree of conviction that these will be worked out over time. And if they're not, um, a lot of the ideas of the, of the Bitcoin um, blockchain uh, can be adopted by, by other competing technologies. Ethereum would be an example. So w when you invest in a, um, in a blockchain-based company, what kind of a stake do you take? I mean, I don't know if equity works, or do you take token, you know, X number of tokens, or what do you guys that's do? A, yeah, that's another good question. So, um, you know, we... The fund invests in the equity of startups, um, and so we're usually investing somewhere around $500,000, usually at the seed stage, sometimes uh, at the A round. Um, our, our, our venture firm and our, the various funds that we manage um, tend to be, we manage money for family offices and high net worth individuals. We actually have 25 uh, Bitcoin CEOs who are our clients who have entrusted their capital to us because they want a diversified exposure. We also have done something pretty interesting is we have an AngelList syndicate. Um, many of your listeners might be familiar with AngelList, but AngelList is a platform that allows smaller investors to kind of get in on the action on top tier uh, venture capital deals. So even though our flagship fund, we're investing out of our second fund now, might invest, say, $300,000 into a, the seed round of an exciting blockchain technology company, we also allow the AngelList to invest 
side by side the Angelus Syndicate with the funds. So that that allows um, smaller investors or retail investors access to venture capital and Silicon Valley deal flow that previously they might not have ever been able to see. So we really believe that um, part of the ethos of this system is kind of democratizing the world and, and providing financial services to those people on a global basis that don't have access to it. And we, we think it's important to walk the walk, so to speak. And so uh, our Angelus Syndicate is, is an opportunity for people that care about this technology and want to have some exposure to invest uh, alongside of our venture fund. And so we think that's a pretty exciting opportunity and another piece of disruptive technology. So if, if I'm an accredited investor, I can go on AngelList and I can invest in um, blockchain-related businesses through AngelList? You can. So you'd go to angelist.co and you would search on blockchain capital and you fill out a very short and easy-to-use questionnaire and you can kind of follow um, blockchain capital's investment. And there's, there's no um, financial obligation. You can, you can sign up to follow blockchain capital and you can invest if you'd like. There's, uh, there's no financial application and you can kind of cherry-pick the deals that our fund invests in. So we have um, lots of people that um, take a look at, at – um, at, uh, deal flow from blockchain capital and make, you can invest as little as $1,000. And um, so it's, hmm. it's an exciting way to kind of bring high quality venture capital investment opportunities to a much larger population that, you know, historically hasn't had access to um, these types of investment opportunities. And so we're, we're really a big fan of the AngelList platform. Interesting. Do you see... Um any ancillary products coming from blockchain applications, you know, in the financial world, let's say uh, options, funds that trade in cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin? Um, yes. Those, are, those are good questions. We're taking a, a really hard look at um, the emerging token market. Um, there's been... Uh, you know, there's been some white papers that have been um, released by Coinbase. Uh, there's another one from Consensus, which is kind of an Ethereum ecosystem incubator or accelerator. And, and a lot of um, the, the newer companies are taking a look at essentially disrupting the venture capital industry itself by doing um, what is called initial coin offerings. And, and that basically is, is a crowd sale of, source, of sorts where uh, investors don't own traditional equity in a startup, but rather tokens. And often these tokens are, um, uh, allow you to, it's kind of an equity-like uh, participation, but these tokens often are used in the network itself. An example might be uh, Augur, which is a decentralized prediction market. Uh, we have an entrepreneur in residence here at the firm named Jeremy Gardner, who's one of the Augur co-founders, and Augur is a Ethereum-based uh, um, you know, kind of decentralized system, and, and it has tokens called reps. So we're, we're um, very interested in that market. It is, a, it is an interesting and uh, an early um, uh, opportunity for a token-based uh, investment into a given uh, network, if you will. Uh, the, the caution there is um, the SEC and FINRA and some of the traditional security regulators have kind of yet to adjudicate on whether these types of token offerings are securities or are they uh, more like a use or an application token. And so there is some uncertainty around uh, token offerings or so-called initial coin offerings. And, and so most of traditional venture capitalists are staying away from that. We actually think it's an exciting opportunity. And, and our next fund, our third fund, will, will have the ability to, to own these tokens directly in the fund, not just equity and startups. What would be the hesitation on the uh you know, owning tokens in initial coin offering. What's, what are people worried about there? 
people, um, there, there's kind of hesitation from traditional investors on, on two fronts. One is um, there's uh, the token market is, is very new. Uh, and, um, and so anytime you have a novel invention like a, uh, an initial coin offering, um, it, there's a limited ability to, to look into the future. Um, there's also some concerns from traditional investors, not really on our part, that um, that the regulators will will look at these uh, closer to like an initial public offering, and and you know a lot of the regulators they they have a dual mandate of uh, protecting the system, but also protecting consumers. And so, I mean, in our talks with regulators, there are some concern on the part of regulators that our retail investors going to be um, uh, properly protected. You know, the SEC and FINRA and, and other regula uh, regulatory agencies really want to make sure that uh, kind of um, retail investors in particular aren't having their money taken from them. And, and so I think another, an extra level of scrutiny, scrutiny is warranted um, just due to the, the, the brand new aspect of an initial coin offering and also the fact that the regulators haven't fully weighed in on it, are these things securities or not, or are they use tokens and won't be um, subject to the regulatory jurisdictions of, say, an initial public offering that you would see a, a traditional equity IPO. Yeah, and it, um, it sounds like uh, initial coin offerings are similar to IPOs. There's tremendous volatil volatility, and I'm sure that uh, regulators don't want unsophisticated investors being able to participate immediately. You know, it looks very similar initially to what I'm seeing. Yeah, I think there are some similarities. I think there's also um, some important differences, and and the truth is the rules just really haven't been written yet. So we're we're way out there on the frontier, but it also makes it an incredibly exciting kind of operating environment as a venture capitalist and as an entrepreneur. You know, at the at the end of the day, our our job is to help our small companies grow into big companies. And if a given company believes that it's best. Um, opportunity to, to grow their business and to properly capitalize that business as an ICO. Uh, in certain circumstances, we would support that. In other circumstances, it might be more appropriate for a traditional financing. But I can tell you, it's it's never boring uh, in this industry. It, it, we, we're blessed with absolutely fantastic entrepreneurs that have been drawn to this um, new world of distributed and decentralized uh, applications. And and um, the the quality of entrepreneurs and the quality of companies that that come through our offices here in San Francisco is is truly amazing. So it's fun to be out on the frontier and helping entrepreneurs uh, grow their business in hopefully uh, exciting ways. Do you guys invest in uh, companies outside of the U.S.? We do. So we're an investor in uh, BTCC, which is one of the largest uh, exchanges in uh, in China. We're an investor in, uh, in um, uh, a company in Africa. We've got a company in Spain. We've got a company in Israel. So uh, what's interesting about Bitcoin and, and blockchain technology is it's a global phenomenon. It, it crosses uh, borders and, and sovereign nations. And so um, one of the advantages of being a sector-specific fund is we've got uh, a laser focus, and, and that focus is global. So we spend a lot of time on airplanes visiting, uh, speaking at conferences, and visiting companies around the world. I would say most of the startup activity is clustered around um, large technology and financial centers. So uh, probably the majority of our companies are in the Bay Area. Um, there's uh, We have a handful of companies in New York, which makes sense with um, uh, large financial centers. There's several in London. Um, and, and startups around the world, really. So uh, even though most of them are, are based in kind of Silicon Valley, where we're based, 
Um, we do look globally, and we think there's lots of opportunity in uh, emerging markets in, in particular, especially with, with Bitcoin and, and, and kind of consumer applications of, of blockchain technology. You know, all of us, uh, or all of your listeners that are uh, here in the United States, we all have Apple Pay and PayPal and credit cards in our pockets that work pretty well. But there's three and a half billion consumers in the world that have a cell phone in their pocket but don't have access to traditional financial services. And by that, I mean there's no Schwab accounts in Southeast Asia or there's low credit card penetration in the Philippines. And so we really see blockchain technology as being able to you know, put a bank in your pocket essentially with these, um, uh, these smartphones. And so in, in developing economies like in Africa and Latin America and Southeast Asia and India, um, there's really an opportunity for consumer-facing financial services companies that are based on blockchain technology to essentially leapfrog uh, a lot of the infrastructure that's here in the States. And the analogy we like to use is really a telecom analogy. You know, um, in, here in the States, most people over the last 20 years, they had a landline telephones, and everyone, of course, has moved to, to mobile uh, telephony. But if you look at it, developing economies, they never had landlines. They basically moved, jumped right to 4G smartphones um, with ultra-fast yep. broadband connections, and we, we think that's an appropriate analogy for financial services. So if you're in India or if you're in China or if you're in Argentina or Venezuela you know, you have the, or Africa, you have the opportunity to basically have bleeding-edge uh, financial services where you can save and lend and borrow uh, right there on, the, on your smartphone. So we do think that there is a huge opportunity to address the so-called unbanked population, the three and a half billion people in the world that don't have financial services but do have a cell phone in their pocket. And so um, uh, we've seen a lot of uh, enterprise activity based on blockchain technology in the U.S., but we're also really excited about consumer applications of this technology in developing economies. Okay. Um, you know, because you see so many companies and startups in the blockchain and Bitcoin space, you, you know, you have a very unique and wide perspective. What do you think is going to people are going to see in 2017 uh, what's new that's coming maybe that's unexpected that uh, you know about other people don't sure so you know we break the market down into kind of the enterprise market which is really kind of the blockchain market so using the blockchain for the trading and settlement of traditional assets and then the kind of consumer market and and uh, last year, um, in 2016, we saw a tremendous amount of activity based in the U.S. on the enterprise market. So, again, this is, this is companies that are using blockchain technology for the trading and settlement of traditional securities or looking at how do you move money from one country to another without having to pay the high fixed costs associated with traditional money movements. So, so that's, you know, interchange fees or wire um, or kind of the money grams and, uh, and Western unions of the world are really expensive if you're a consumer. Uh, or if you're an enterprise. And so a, a lot of those kind of deals were signed over the last two years. They're being implemented now. So uh, the jury's still out on how this will work. Um, and and I, we'll get some, some early uh, feedback from these trials over the course of this coming year, call it one to two years. Um, but Bitcoin also had a great year last year. You know, Bitcoin had kind of a three-and-a-half-year bear market where people started focusing on the underlying enabling technology, the blockchain. That's good. But Bitcoin had a pretty strong resurgence in the end of the year, as many of your listeners are, are likely aware. You know, the, the stock market, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, was up 13% last year, and Bitcoin was up 143% last year. So right. Bitcoin has had a strong resurgence um, it still does have a bit of volatility. It's down a bit this year. We try to not focus on the day-to-day the -day price movements of Bitcoin, but rather the adoption of the underlying technology. 
And uh, we see, again, I think we're going to see some exciting consumer applications in, in developing economies in China and India. And we're also seeing a lot of activity in other industries, as we talked about uh, briefly earlier. Um, you know, one of our companies, Tyrion, has created kind of a proof engine that you can think of it almost like a digital notary, where Tyrion is a very robust API, and it, you can kind of use the Bitcoin blockchain to digitally timestamp something. So you could prove with a mathematical certainty that um, a given uh, filing, let's say a, a regulatory filing happened, and it's timestamped on the Bitcoin uh, blockchain. And so um, when you think about audits for large publicly traded companies, we see applications for, you know, Tyrion could help prove that, you know, a given document was opened or a, certi a certification was uh, uh, is, is, is up to date and current or, or a data set. If you want to think of clinical trials and healthcare, it really hasn't been modified. One of the great and kind of underappreciated aspects of the blockchain is, the, is its immutability. Um, when you hash something to the blockchain, you can prove that something hasn't been altered. And so if you think about yeah a clinical trial for a biotech company, the FDA really wants to make sure that the data set associated with a given drug going through a clinical trial hasn't been altered by the clinical investigators that are, that are seeing if this, um, a given drug is going to hurt or help a patient. So even though a lot of the startup activity and a lot of the venture capital activity has been focused on financial services, um, we're kind of leading the way in looking at uh, how this technology has applications in healthcare and government services and identity. Uh, digital notary services, uh, provenance, proof of custody, chain of custody, these, these types of applications are a little bit farther behind um, some of the financial services applications, but we're seeing a bunch of interesting startups that are, are looking at other industries besides financial services, and I, and I suspect our investment activity in the coming year will be increasingly focused on kind of non-financial services use cases. There's been quite a bit of investment activity in, in financial services, and and so we see uh, lots of opportunity looking at other industries. Any um, <clears throat> any showstoppers that you see are on the horizon potentially for yeah. Bitcoin and or blockchain? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, you know, for us, we see this technology as here to stay. We think it's not going to be uninvented. I spend a lot of time talking to uh, executives at financial firms and they they often call us or they want to come by our office and 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 essentially what they want to know is is this technology a opportunity or is it a threat and um, mm. what I like to tell them is it's both um, you know I say that number one this technology is here to stay it's not going to go away it's very robust it's one of the largest computer science experiments that's ever been conducted as I mentioned earlier it's just it's hard to describe how large and powerful this network is um, but it, it, with respect to uh, financial incumbents, you know, what we tell them is it probably makes sense for you to invest in some of these companies or trial out this technology to see if it can help you grow your business or create a, a defensible advantage to your competitors. Because if you're a bank or a stock exchange and you decide to ignore this technology and your competitor embraces it, it's quite possible that in five to ten years you find yourself at a competitive disadvantage. So that's why we've seen so many banks and financial institu institutions, insurance companies, stock exchanges, et cetera, that are trying out this technology. And, and um, that's, that's a very rational point of view for them. Um, and so that's yeah. why we're seeing a lot of these proof of concept trials that will be unfolding over the next 12 to 18 months. Okay, very good. And then um, last couple questions. So if someone has a startup and they want to come to a, you know, a VC company like yours for funding, uh, what do you want to see from a startup that would tell you, yeah, 
you know, this is a good possibility we may be interested in, in investing in, or, yeah, you guys need to do some work before you, you ask for money. Sure. So that's a good question, and I'd encourage any entrepreneurs that have an idea for a Bitcoin or a blockchain uh, startup to um, go to our website, which is www.blockchain.capital or blockchaincapital.com. Both of them work, and you can uh, submit an email on the site or a PowerPoint presentation. And what we look for really is um, uh, strength in the founding team. Um, at the end of the day, we're an investor in people, people and ideas. And, and so we like to see strong engineering teams with some sort of uh, track record of success. Um, so oftentimes we see uh, a founding team that are leaving PayPal or Stripe or Goldman Sachs or Google. And um, what we found is entrepreneurs that have a track record of success in their past, that's often an indicator that they'll be successful in the future. So first and foremost, we invest in uh, talented teams. And usually these teams are, are kind of engineering focused. And as, as the product or service is developed, they eventually add on uh, product uh, developers and product managers and eventually marketing and salespeople. But it's usually kind of an engineering-based team. And we have a whole advisory board of um, CTOs and experts in this technology that help us to vet the code or, or the, the given product and, and service. We also like to see um, entrepreneurs addressing a new market um, or uh, ap applying this technology to an existing market where you might be able to reach a new jurisdiction or address a new set of customers. Um, these are all important um, kind of decision criteria for us, and, and we also do a lot of reference checking on our entrepreneurs to make sure that um, uh, that they are uh, quality individuals that uh, will be hardworking. Um, you know, we are, are we have kind of two groups of customers, so to speak. Our, our our job is to help our portfolio companies grow, but we also manage money for for other people, for high net worth individuals and retail investors and. Um, our, our financial objective is to provide a, a return. So we hope our companies can, can grow and mature and eventually go public or get sold to larger companies. And so um, that is our mandate, to help our companies grow and to make money for our own clients. Okay, very good. Well, sure. Any, anything uh, I should have asked you or that I missed that you want to talk about? No, your questions have been great. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, as I mentioned earlier, it's an incredibly exciting uh, time to invest in, uh, in these companies. It, it's a, a very large market opportunity. When you look at financial services alone, it's kind of the largest market in the world. When you talk about applications of blockchain technology and healthcare, that's probably the second largest market in the world. So we're talking about absolutely gargantuan markets, and this technology is incredibly disruptive. So these are the types of things that venture capitalists look for. You know, my brother and I ran a hedge fund for 10 years investing in Silicon Valley startups, and we looked for essentially the same things, and we, we always told our, ourselves that when we saw the birth of a new industry that we, if we ever thought was as large or as exciting as the Internet, we'd stop what we were doing and, and focus exclusively on that, and that's exactly what we did four years ago. When we first discovered Bitcoin, and um, we, we bought a lot of Bitcoin, and we were Bitcoin miners, and we started investing in Bitcoin companies, and, and our, our oh, investment cool. thesis evolved into focusing on a, a much bigger story, which is blockchain technology, which, again, is, is multi-industry. So uh, I'd encourage any entrepreneurs out there to, to come find us, either in San Francisco or, or on the web, and um, I'd, I'd encourage your listeners to keep an eye on this. You know, Bitcoin is... Uh, often um, misunderstood um, and misreported in the press, but if you really dig in, I think um, most of your listeners would, would appreciate that this is a powerful technology that's here to stay and, and holds the opportunity to disrupt not just financial services, but other industries across the board. So again, it's, uh, we, we love our jobs here. We love working with uh, passionate entrepreneurs that are, that are trying to change the world and, and break things and create new markets and new services.
Well, great. I'm talking with Bart Stevens of Blockchain Capital. Bart, thank you so much for doing the interview. I really appreciate it. Richard, I appreciate the opportunity, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.